All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on the Gospel of Matthew. Before we jump into the content on this session, I just wanted to encourage you maybe to check out the website if you have not already. And the reason for that is really two. One, there's a free ebook on there that'll give you some guidance for studying the Bible for yourself and applying the Bible for yourself. It's called Bible in Life, and it gives five practices for hearing the text as well as five practices for heeding the text. Totally free. That's on the website. And then also, one of the challenges of listening to the commentary on your podcast player is if you want to listen to, you know, through Ephesians, you got to scroll all the way down until you can find Ephesians somewhere on your podcast app. On the website, it's all organized by book. You just click the Listen tab at the top, pick the book you want to do, and you can just listen straight through Bible books there on the website. So for both those reasons, it might be helpful to you to check out the website at listenerscommentary.com. All right, let's jump into the content for this session. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 21. Matthew 12, 1 through 21. And in context, Jesus has just promised uh, to those who are carrying a heavy load that he will give them rest if they take his yoke upon them. So I don't think it's accidental in Matthew's arranging of snapshots that immediately in the very next uh, couple snapshots are Jesus challenging Sabbath traditions that actually made the Sabbath a burden rather than a blessing. Jesus calls out the Pharisees in chapter 23, verse 4, for tying heavy loads on people's shoulders. That is, for putting heavy yokes on people. Well, this section uh, shows us Jesus putting a lighter load on people by helping uh, us see what the Sabbath really was for. Not only that, this section also furthers the plot in Matthew's gospel by heightening the conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders. In fact, by the end of this scene, the religious leaders want to destroy Jesus and are beginning to figure out how they can do that. So Matthew chapter 12 begins with two snapshots of Sabbath controversies by Jesus. It starts like this, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat them. Now, the law permitted that you, you could pick grain as you walk through a neighbor's field as long as you didn't put a sickle to it and harvest it. You can find that in Deuteronomy 23, verse 25. So the fact that they're picking grain, that's not the problem. The problem is they're picking the heads of grain, wheat or barley, whatever it is, on the Sabbath. That's the problem. So look at verse 2. Now, when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what's not lawful to do on a Sabbath. That's the issue, is that this is happening on the Sabbath. To the Pharisees, Jesus' disciples are breaking the Sabbath. How so? Well, their traditions saw picking grain and breaking loose the kernels as a kind of harvesting. Harvesting wasn't allowed on the Sabbath, Exodus 34, 21. The law said you had to keep the Sabbath holy. The way to do that was by not working. Harvesting was a form of working. Picking grain and breaking it open and eating it on the Sabbath, well, that's working, so it's violating the Sabbath. Now, before we go on, I think I should just say that it's important for us not to just immediately say, oh, this is just such silly legalism. What we really need to do is first try to understand them. What they're trying to do is apply the Sabbath laws of the Old Testament as best as they could. 
Why? Well, because the Sabbath was central to their Jewish identity. It was something that set them apart from the world around them. It was a way of marking them out as holy and distinct from pagan culture. And so they want to try to obey that as well as possible. So they're thinking through different applications. And that's what they've come up with. And that's why they're upset with uh, Jesus' disciples is because they feel like they're violating the Sabbath by working. And if Jesus really were a righteous man, he should call them out on that. The problem here is, though, that Jesus disagreed with them on how they were applying the Sabbath laws. It wasn't to be found in meticulously defining work in immense detail. The Sabbath was designed for human well-being. And so Jesus doesn't argue with them here about whether or not there was a real violation in what the, uh, his disciples were doing. Instead, he points to how meeting human need was way more important and central to the Sabbath than meticulously defining work. And he does this with an Old Testament story. So look at verse 3. Jesus said to them, Have you not read? Now, just pause for a second before we go on. Think about who Jesus is saying this to. He's having a conversation with the Pharisees, with some of the most religious and respected religious leaders of the day, people who knew the scriptures more than anyone else, people who devoted whole uh, you know, years and years of their life studying the scriptures. And he says, have you not read? There's a little subtle jab and irony in that. Have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions, and how he entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone. What Jesus is doing is recalling a story from the Old Testament that's found in 1 Samuel chapter 21. In the story, David is the king to come. He's the king in waiting, and his men and himself are on the run, fleeing the current king, King Saul. And they've been on the run, and now they're famished, and they need food. And the only food available was the bread of the presence from the tabernacle. This was bread that was reserved for the priests alone to eat according to the law, Leviticus 24, verses 5 and following. But meeting David and his men's need was actually greater than that requirement. That's the logic of Jesus' bringing up this story. And so Jesus is implying that so too with him, so too with King Jesus and his men. Their needs are more important than the tradition about harvesting on the Sabbath. Jesus continues and drives home the point by noting that the priests themselves actually work on the Sabbath. And so he goes on in verse 5 and says, Or, haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple violate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? What is he getting at? Well, what he's getting at is the priests are required to work on the Sabbath in order to carry out the the temple worship. And so what he's implying is is that the, the Sabbath is not some sort of inviolate rule to which there are no exceptions. To serve in the temple, the priest must work on the Sabbath, and yet they're not guilty of violating the Sabbath. And then Jesus says something shocking in verse 6. He says, But I say to you, something greater than the temple is here. And this really is like the culmination of Jesus' argument. Jesus says that he and the kingdom are greater than the temple in Jerusalem. This is shocking because the temple was everything in the Jewish world. Their whole way of life focused on it. 
Uh, they traveled to it to celebrate the feast. Uh, it was like central to their identity. And so Jesus's claim here that he's greater than the temple, that his presence in the world and the kingdom he's announcing is greater than the temple. His claim is bold and arrogant unless it's true. And obviously, Jesus thinks it's true. Now, how does what he says here in verse 6 fit in with the point he's making in this little snapshot? Well, it fits in like this. Just as the mission and the need of King David and his men allowed for an exception to a legal requirement, so too the mission and need of King Jesus and his men allows for an exception. And not only that, just as the priest serving in the temple was acceptable, while the disciples who are serving Jesus in the kingdom, they're innocent too. Why? Because Jesus and his mission are greater than the temple. And then Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. At the heart of all this is the fact that the Sabbath was meant for the good of human beings, not meant to be managed with strict minutia of rules and details. And so to emphasize that point, Jesus quotes from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. Look at verse 7. He says, But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion rather than sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. First off, notice the word innocent and how it connects with what Jesus said about the priests up above. Just as the priests were innocent, Jesus' disciples are innocent, and they're condemning them. Also, just like the prophet Hosea prioritized mercy and compassion, so does Jesus. And if the Pharisees actually had this knowledge, if they actually understood about the priority of mercy and compassion, if they understood what the point of the Sabbath really was, well, then they wouldn't have condemned them. They wouldn't have condemned the innocent. And thus, their way of understanding and applying the Sabbath is flawed. That's what Jesus says. That's what he's getting at. And then he says, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, since Jesus is the highest king, he's the Son of Man, the, the one pictured in glory in Daniel chapter 7. He's the highest king, higher than David. So he ultimately has the authority to explain and apply Sabbath laws and Sabbath traditions. So that's the first snapshot of Sabbath controversies. Now we get another one beginning in verse 9 that makes a similar point. It says this, Departing from there, he went into their synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. So we're in the synagogue building where Sabbath worship services would be taking place. And Jesus, as a rabbi, is going to frequently teach on the Sabbath. And that's what's happening in this case. And there's a man in this synagogue who's got a withered hand. I picture a hand that's kind of curled and his arm doesn't straighten out real well. So the hand is unusable. That's the idea. Picture that. And so they question Jesus asking, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might bring charges against him? They're looking for a way to charge him, right? They're, this is a setup question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? I mean, Jesus obviously has gone rogue. He doesn't keep the Sabbath traditions. They have a pretty good idea how he's going to answer this question. And they're looking for a way that they can formally charge him as a violator of the Sabbath. The irony to me is amazing. Jesus has the power to heal. And they don't seem to have any question about that. Their question is about their traditions for the Sabbath. You would think that having the power to heal would indicate that God's at work through him, but they're so fixated on their traditions, that fact is lost on them. And so they ask this question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Jesus responds to their question 
with a question, common rabbinic form of dialogue. He said to them, What man is there among you who has a sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and pull it out? You have a sheep, you've got sheep, you got goats, you got a donkey, right? You got your animal, it falls into a pit, and you you reach down and you drag that sheep out and you save that sheep, you rescue that sheep, you do good for that sheep. And Jesus just asks a question that everyone would give a positive answer. Of course, we pull that sheep out of the pit. And then Jesus says in verse 12, how much more valuable then is a person than a sheep? You would do good for a sheep on the Sabbath. How much more value is a human being than a sheep. So he says, so then it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. The rabbis debated whether medical work or medical help was permitted on the Sabbath. This was a legitimate debate that they're drawing Jews into. Their conclusion was this, only if the medical emergency couldn't wait, should you do medical work on the Sabbath. So in this guy's case, he's got this hand. He's lived with it a long time. It's not a life-threatening situation. It's not a medical emergency. So just wait. Tell him to come back tomorrow. And then you won't violate the Sabbath. That's how they're thinking, right? But what is the Sabbath all about? Well, for Jesus, it's all about doing good for people. Just like you would do good for a sheep. And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? So the Sabbath is about doing good for people. And so he says in verse 13, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and it was restored to normal like the other one. So as the man stretches out his hand in faith, his hand is healed and immediately restored to a perfectly good working hand. And look how the Pharisees respond. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. They are so blind to the fact that Jesus is empowered by God to heal and so blinded by their traditions that all they can see is he violated their traditions. He challenged their authority. He shamed them in front of the watching people. They've got to destroy him and get rid of him. And so now the plot thickens in Matthew's gospel. The hostility now intensifies, and we are already beginning to hear about how they, they want to bring charges against him. Now they want to destroy him. What will happen to Jesus, and how will all of this play out? But, verse 15, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Many followed him, and he healed them all, and he warned them not to tell who he was. And so Jesus He knows the tension is mounting. He knows that they're wanting to destroy him. And so he begins to kind of work in outlying areas. He's telling people to keep what he does on the download. Don't let people know who he was because it's not time for him to be killed just yet. Then Matthew wraps up this whole section by quoting from Isaiah chapter 42. Uh, It's actually the longest quote in Matthew's gospel. Verse 17 says, this happened so that was spoken through Isaiah, the prophet would be fulfilled. And so he quotes from Isaiah 42 and he says this, behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved one in whom my soul delights. These words have actually been said to Jesus and about Jesus at his baptism in Matthew 3.17. Notice my beloved son there in Matthew 3.17. In whom I am well pleased is literally the same word translated delights here, in whom my soul delights. And so this is the passage that was uh, quoted to Jesus in his baptism. And so my beloved in whom my soul delights, I will put my spirit upon him. 
and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. In Isaiah, when the servant, this is who we're dealing with, the servant songs in Isaiah, this is the first of them. When the servant comes, he will not only restore Israel, but he'll also bring justice to the nations, to the Gentiles. This actually here in Matthew's gospel hints towards the end of the story when Jesus will send his disciples out to the nations, to the Gentiles. The word Gentile and the word nation is the same word in both Greek and Hebrew. The quote continues in verse 19. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bent reed he will not break off, a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. These two in images of a bent reed and a dimly burning wick picture um, Jesus' compassion and gentleness. You have a reed that's already kind of bent over and Jesus is not going to uh, be so rough and uh, heavy handed that he just breaks it off. A dimly burning wick with it's struggling to, with its light and is about to go out. He's not going to extinguish that. And it's a picture of Jesus' gentleness and compassion. And that's really at the heart of Matthew's portrayal of Jesus here in this section. And then the quote ends by saying, until he won't, he won't do this until he leads justice to victory, until he brings justice into the world, until justice has its victory in this world and things are set right. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Again, pointing forward to the ultimate mission. It's going to go beyond just the lost sheep of the house of Israel to all the nations. Now, as we wrap up this section, let me just offer a few reflections. The first is that the Sabbath was meant for human good. We need to be careful about throwing the baby out with the bathwater, right? And oftentimes that happens with us. Jesus doesn't reject the Sabbath in total. He doesn't reject that the Sabbath is good for mankind. He actually affirms it. All the while, though, he does it while challenging and rejecting the misuses of it. And that's his concern. So we need to be on guard against our own misunderstandings and misuse of the Sabbath. But the Sabbath itself is a gift from God for human flourishing, for human well-being. It's for our good. It's, it's to bring good to other people. So even though we don't, don't live under the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, we're under the new covenant. And the Sabbath is actually not one of the Ten Commandments that's restated in the new covenant. We still should learn from the Sabbath principle about what it teaches us about what's good for human being. And the principle of Sabbath, we should think through how that can play out in our weekly rhythms. And the second reflection I just want to mention here is this idea of Jesus as the compassionate king. At the end of chapter 11, immediately before these two stories, Jesus invites all who are toiling and carrying heavy loads to come to him and find rest for their souls. He describes himself as gentle and humble of heart. Well, these two stories here serve to highlight that trait of Jesus. He lightens the load. He allows his disciples to pick some grain and eat on the Sabbath. He goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with those who are piling heavy burdens on people's back. He does good for people on the Sabbath by healing people. He's gentle and he's compassionate. He's not going to break off a bent reed. He's not going to uh, extinguish someone whose wick is just about to go out. He's not going to snuff it out, right? Like He is the compassionate king who wants to bring good into people's life and who, if we'll enter into discipleship to him, can bring rest for our souls. All right, thanks for tuning into this session of the Listener's Commentary on the Gospel of Matthew. The Listener's Commentary is a listener-supported, crowd-funded Bible teaching ministry that's made possible by the generous support of people just like you. So to all of you who make this ministry possible, thanks a ton. God is bearing good fruit in the lives of people all around the world. 
And if you're one of those people who's been blessed or impacted by this ministry, would you prayerfully consider if you are able to join the team of supporters? You can do so by swinging over to listenerscommentary.com. You can click the Give button, and you can set up a monthly recurring donation or a one-time donation right there. You can also support this ministry by signing up for the Study Hub. Just click Sign Up inside the Study Hub box, take you to a page where you can choose an amount that you're able to give, and you can support this ministry that way as well. All monthly donors, whether through the Sign Up uh, means or through the Give button, all monthly donors get access to the bonus material inside the Study Hub. Thanks a ton for your support.